everyone, welcome to Stranger Things with Jay, Jack, and Mike. My name is Jay. My name is Mike. And I'm Oh My Nose. And welcome to the show. How's it going, gentlemen? I, what, what's the Brady Bunch reference? I'm, I'm not particularly Steve, connecting Steve, it here. Steve gets punched in the nose. He goes, Oh My Nose. That's oh. the connection you made? <laughs> It's 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 probably the mo- one of the most famous scenes in Brady Bunch history, right? But I, not I'm Stranger aware Things. Of this I scene. mean, right 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 away, you knew you said uh, Brady Bunch. So yeah, he gets punched in the nose, and uh, but is this Brady says, oh, Bunch with Jay Jack and Mike? <laughs> well, I, I also don't know how like somebody getting hit in the face is the same thing as Marsha Brady getting hit in the nose with a he, football. He <laughs> says, "Oh my nose!" So I figured it was a call out to the Brady Bunch. So mm. <laughs> maybe the writers are Brady Bunch fans. That's a you bit of know. a stretch, Armstrong there, Jack. I'm sorry. Well, in episode eight, when Lucas is riding the surfboard, he has the tiki torch, uh-huh. the tiki idol, and he falls off. Then you're going to see it. Oh, I'm, well, sorry, should, Mike. Should, I'm sorry, Mike. He shouldn't have brought that with him. He knew it was cursed. He should have left it with Vincent Price on that island. <laughs> so we're, 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 I did not expect us to get this uh, deep into Brady Bunch mythology well, to start when, out this when episode. Vince, when Vincent Price appears in episode seven... Yes, when the, when the deceased Vincent Price appears in episode seven, he, I, I I've I've already the, predicted it without even realizing it. The, the dad is watching a TV show, a scary movie with Vincent. Actually, it's the Brady Bunch episode of the Y. Actually, episode. I will say, uh, funny enough, and then Mike, you haven't seen this yet because you haven't finished this season. But the season two trailer does have a voiceover of Vincent Price, so it doesn't that doesn't really spoil really? anything. Was it is him doing the thriller stuff? It is the thriller rap. Uh, oh, I, I, I didn't even know that. That is in the season two trailer of uh, Stranger Things. So, um, well, actually, wow. it's in the Comic Con trailer that they released in July. They just released the final trailer uh, on Friday, this past Friday. Um, and I think it's the it only one I good. saw. Huh? I think that's the only one I've seen. Really? So okay. Well, the the Comic Con one is probably my favorite trailers of all time. So wow! Uh, excited, Mike. Once you finish this, to watch it because it's just a really fun trailer. It's, they do yeah, really I'm gonna have job. what like so, a four day turnaround time before the season <laughs> drops at this rate. So, Mike, do you have an apology that this is now you see the the uh, Brady Bunch connection? <laughs> no. I, I, sort of. I'll admit during this sort of like they live scuffle between Jonathan <laughs> and Steve in the end of episode six, I wasn't really necessarily focusing on the ADR that was going on, so I don't even remember Steve saying "ow my nose." <laughs> It was, I think it's Oh My Nose. So he even oh, misquoted nose. her. <laughs> I th- All I right, think let's... Marcia, I think Marcia says Oh My Nose. Let's, uh, let's, let's move on here. <laughs> We've already lost and, all and of our if, listeners. If, if you watch the video again on Marsha Brady, it clearly doesn't hit her in um, the nose. So uh, exciting week this week for Stranger Things. Uh, on Tuesday, a lot of stuff drops at Target. Uh, for kind of the, in prep of season two, uh, uh, some board games. I saw them today. There's a Ouija board, uh, Stranger Things thing, things themed, to where uh, it's it's Joyce's lights and the letters, and you have a little Ouija thingy that that goes to the different. Letters. Oh my god! There is a Stranger Things Monopoly uh, with little, uh, you know, they have like little bike things and different different characters there. Um, they are releasing season one on Blu-ray, and it mm-hmm. is a VHS box. So it's like an old, like an old horror tape uh, representation of Stranger Things on Blu-ray, which I thought was brilliant. 
Um, it looks really cool. I'm probably going to pick that up tomorrow because I have a problem. Um, <laughs> and that's uh, new T-shirts. Uh, there's a, a, t- uh, a T-shirt that's that just these words, what about Barb? Which I know you'll probably want to get, Mike. It's going to be really popular. Uh, <laughs> what about Barb's Emmy? <laughs> um so yeah so so cool stuff uh tomorrow at target uh so if you're listening to this uh tomorrow because this is probably and and if you're and if you're a fan of target because they're our new sponsor (laughs) Uh, a lot of cool new uh uh, stranger things stuff can can it show just be good without having to capitalize on it See, I can, under, I can understand the capitaliz- capitalization on some things. I don't understand the Monopoly thing, and I almost never understand any branded Monopoly games just because I feel like you need to have, what, at least, like, I'm doing bad math off, off the top of my head, but at least, like, what, 16 locations to use in a typical Monopoly set? Yeah. We've seen a good amount of Stranger Things Season 1 so far, and I've been greatly enjoying it, but I can't think off the top of my head of, you know, 16 noteworthy locations. You know, when it came out with The Simpsons Monopoly... That makes sense because there's so many locations that they use for 600 plus episodes at this point. Mm-hmm. We're going with Stranger Things Monopoly. Let's pick 16 locations that have been visited over the course of eight episodes. It's a, it's a much thinner uh, group to sip through. What is, the, what is the what is what is the jail? Barb's Barb by the pool? <laughs> no, it's that's technically Steve's parents' pool. Steve, I know it's Steve's parents, but Barb sitting by the pool. So <laughs> no, the jail jail's got to be the upside down, right? Yeah, the jail has okay. to be upside down. Okay, the upside down. Okay, um, what's boardwalk? Pat- uh, uh, Steve's house because it's probably the nicest house we've seen so far. Mm, I guess mm. do you go for the nicest property or do you go for the most infamous property, which might be Hawkins Lab. I don't know the the gate maybe or okay. or Mike's house since we spend a lot of time there. Will's house has a lot you, of action going on, you, even you, though it's you, a little you, more derelict. You have to have the basement somewhere. That's Actually, true. the basement nobody goes to. Well, I mean, right? yeah, the the hangouts, the basement. But again, that's a that's a uh, yeah. It's uh, Mike. You bring up a good point here about the Monopoly game. We got we got to call um, uh, Parker Brothers. Bill Bradley. <laughs> yeah. Was it Parker Brothers? Or? I have no idea. <laughs> well, yeah, because that's the thing is that I can understand like branded clue boards because you only need what six characters, six objects, six locations. That's all you need. I, Monopoly I think, is tough because you need to come up with so many different places. I, you had the wooded area. You have the, the other wooded area. The other wooded area. You have. Okay, so I, I'm looking. I'm looking at the board now, um, and we got Mike's basement is the first property. So you got Mike's basement. Oh, there. So there you go. Uh, Lucas's house is the next one. All uh, right. Demogorgon right. attack is the. Uh, so I guess maybe there's other types of elements to this game. That's uh, a house. That's a property. No, it's not a property. It's like an extra space. Is it? Is it? Is it one of those? Uh, like they have the railroads, or they have like the the hydroelectric well, the dam and the electric company. The which one is paying? Is which one's paying taxes? Is it the school or something like that? Which which one? Uh... I don't know. But you got it. Got it. Uh, oh, yeah, because one's a bike. One of the railroads is a bike. Another one is a Hawkins uh, van. One of the vans. Um, other one I think is Hopper's uh, SUV. I think that one is Joyce's Gremlin or whatever that was. Uh, gotta have the gotta have the computer. So, yeah, in so there, the, right? unfortunately, the jail is just your standard Monopoly jail, so they didn't even spruce oh. that up. No, that I mean, that, I, I guess that does I, make I was, sense considering no. that we do see a character get arrested this episode. It's not like the jail doesn't <laughs> exist. No, I was all in for something special. You just make it a regular jail. Some that's lazy board making. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I mean, seriously, that's what you came up with. The jail going to jail is the jail. Boo. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. The tokens. Yeah, we got uh, we got a toaster with egos naturally. I'm now I'm um, looking at the board too. It looks like our boardwalk is the upside down. Yeah. So and then which Hawkins is weird because is... that's the most who that's the most expensive property, right? Boardwalk I mean, and guess, Park Place, right? From what I've to understand of the two episodes we've seen so far, this does sort of seem like the MacGuffin of we need to get to the upside down. Okay. We need to find the upside down. That's where Will is. I guess it makes sense in that regard, but in terms okay. of like an actual property. I don't know if it's that lucrative. Yeah, we've seen we've seen the upside down. I'm not buying. I'm not paying top dollar to live there. Sorry. No, nah, I agree. Um, so you have the Ouija board that, that and you have gel. this Monopoly game. But really, I would love to see a Dungeon and Dragons, you know, Stranger Things theme. That's where I think the opportunity is. That's where. Maybe they didn't get permission. I guess not. I don't know who. At least I'll see you by, be by Hasbro, so I don't know. Maybe the Dungeons and Dragons people are against making money. Which is Hasbro Games. So is Parker Brothers not around anymore? And all the other. When I was a child, it was Parker Brothers. Anyways, um, so there you go. There's our uh, <laughs> talk here about Stranger Things merchandise uh, with the release of the first season Blu-ray set. Um, as I, and also kind of re- ramping up here into season two. It's been so. ten minutes since it got to the point of this episode. Consider me unsubscribe. <laughs> All right. Well, without any further ado, let's jump into these episodes. This is chapter three of the podcast, and since we cover two uh, episodes of podcast, that means we're covering chapter five and chapter six. First, we start off with the flea and the acrobat, chapter five. Uh, Will's father, Lonnie, assures Joyce that her experiences are hallucinations. The boys conclude that Will is trapped in an alternate dimension, which Eleven calls the Upside Down. Hopper discovers a portal in the basement of the lab. He is knocked out by the lab's guards and wakes at home. Uh, He searches his house and finds a hidden microphone. After Will's funeral, the boys ask Mr. Clark about other dimensions. He tells them that a high-energy space-time tear could create a passage between dimensions. The deputies inform Hopper that Barb's car was found by the state. Hopper finds the state's involvement suspicious, uh, positing that a tear in space-time would disrupt Earth's electromagnetic field. The boys follow their compasses. Eleven remembers being uh, placed in a sensory deprivation tank to telepathically eavesdrop on a man speaking Russian. While listening, she came across the creature. Scared of encountering the creature again, Eleven redirects the compasses. Lucas uh, notices the distortion and confronts her. Mike defends her, and he and Lucas fight. Eleven telekinetically flings Lucas off Mike, while Dustin and Mike tend to the unconscious Lucas... Eleven disappears. In the woods, Nancy and Jonathan find a wounded deer. The creature drags the deer away. Nancy and Jonathan follow the trail of blood. Nancy crawls through the passage to the upside down and discovers the creature feasting upon a deer. She snaps a twig and draws the creature's attention. So cliche. All right, so let's go into the top moments. Uh, First up here is the coining of the upside down. And uh, to Mike's point here, the, the, the MacGuffin, the goal... Uh, of now where they have to get to to wherever Will is. So thoughts on the upside down? I mean, this was one of those, again, one of these sort of hallmarks of the show that I had heard tangentially about. So I wasn't sure what exactly it referred to. I'd sort of alluded to the fact that we might be dealing in some sort of alternate dimensions. This episode appeared to have confirmed it. And now they've officially, you know, given it a name called the upside down. I'm not sure if and when, everyone joins together if the adults and the teenagers will like calling it the upside down because i feel like that's a perfect way for a kid to describe it uh but maybe it's a little too much of a cerebral concept to really apply that term to a little too juvenile for my liking well so what would hopper call it 
I don't know, freaky dusty place. Because again, <laughs> the ash or whatever it is just keeps falling at a, a glacial pace, and it feels like you can, it can never get clean. Yeah, it's not for uh, the the clean freaks. People that hate dust. That's fair. That is fair. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a great descriptor of it. Um, it's a great thing that makes sense, but it is slightly juvenile. But it, that's why I think makes it perfect. And um, in reading about this show and the history of this show, the reason why most of the major networks you know passed on it is they told them they wanted to get rid of the kids uh, from the story. They just wanted to focus on Hopper trying to figure out what's going on with this mysterious place. Um, and looking at it now, it's like, how do you not have these kids in the show? Yeah, maybe it was, maybe it was the producers of Blue Bloods, and they'd gone down that that road once too many times. There's a there's a reference that nobody will understand unless they've gone to ten years of uh, Jane Jack. Hey, um, I get it. But uh, but yeah, I think. But no, but traditionally, but traditionally, shows that kills a lot of shows are the act is the acting of kids, but these kids nail it. So I don't. Yeah, I mean, getting rid of the kids is a huge mistake because essentially they're the lifeblood of the show. And I think if we're going back to this idea of connecting back with 80s nostalgia, that also saw a lot through the eyes of children. We made references to E.T. and It and other two-letter pieces of pop culture that end with (laughs) T that have existed in the 80s were primarily through a child's eyes. And so I feel like if you take that element away... It's just teenagers and cops, and that doesn't really feel like a complete show. Maybe, again, it's hindsight and us knowing how big of a part the children would play in it, but it just seems like such a fundamentally different show without that group. Do you think it also helps having the kids that it's based in the 80s and adults today are going, oh, I remember riding my bikes. I remember Mm -hmm. thinking this and thinking there was a crime going on and and investigating and stuff like that. We did the same thing in the 70s. If there's a general critique of the show, some people feel like it's just playing nostalgia and not really doing anything other than that i disagree i think it's also a really good show no i i don't um, i don't i don't agree with that uh but that's the some of the feels it's something stranger things has done really you know, well you know, maybe, is connect to the maybe it, maybe if it that's i i just don't see it because there's a plot there's a story going on it's just not just okay here's this here's this oh this is this is what we had in the 80s and uh, no i disagree i would agree with your disagreement jack thank you um, <laughs> next up uh hopper you know still is on his uh, being able to schmooze his way uh, from the end of last episode, and he makes it all the way to the portal, um, and uh, they don't kill him. I they kill Benny, the poor calf, you know, diner owner, and uh, the the guy Benny. The yeah, uh, Benny. You yeah. can't. It was just Benny, though. I know. I know. And so they they let Hopper live. And uh, he tears up his nice mobile home trying to find the, the little microphone. There. And, and what's the deal with people in this show and phones? <laughs> they hate them. They hate yeah, you know, phones. phones. If you had a $600 phone, I, I guarantee you're not going to be smashing it around like that. I don't know if Stranger Things 2017 has Hopper, what, like smashing his iPhone or bricking it when he comes to. <laughs> I To Jay's point, I think it's more of a thing where if the chief of police goes missing or winds up dead and it turns out that the last place he was investigating was Hawkins laboratory. I feel like that's a little suspect. Yeah. Like you said, it doesn't seem like they're really the, uh, the best sort of evil scientist that they can be in terms of the planning process, but <laughs> they at least see that far to see the repercussions of going after the, the police chief. Yeah. I they they kind of have the, uh, the, uh, administrative abilities of Equifax just in terms of their, you know, handling of the situation. Well, plus you already have Barb missed. Well, no one cares. You have, um, 
you know, well, clearly might... they found her car and it's like, oh, she she it's was by a bus station. She left. She ran away. She left. Yeah, she's a straight A student. Yeah, she ran away. But you know, if you if you have Benny and you, people start dying in this small town, I think eventually even the dad would leave the TV, you know, leave the TV and the food alone and, and start worrying about what's going on. Yeah. So yeah, I agree with Mike. You can't kill. You can't. Plus the way they did it, it made it seem like he was just dreaming or anyway. Mm-hmm true um but actually you think about it they maybe they were really expensive back then but hidden mic microphones there's only one in his house i would like at least put a couple in different places because I mean, well it's need... not a big house you don't need a big you don't need it you, know, you don't want like a backup you know i've seen enemy of the state with gene hackman and will smith you gotta at least have a couple nah we'll do see. you uh, so are we assuming that we're going to see in these next couple of episodes that the Hawkins guys are sort of masquerading as power and light people? Are we assuming that this is how they might get their way into people's homes and just say, oh, yeah, this, you know, yep. it's the electrician. This is the thing that he happens to be putting in the wall that I'm assuming that's just some sort of, a, I don't know, electricity monitoring device. We shouldn't worry about it. Pay it no mind. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Always Maybe. question authority, ladies and gentlemen. Um, next up, we have Mr. Clark dropping some knowledge about the flea and the acrobat. The classic uh, folding the two pieces of paper and sticking a pin through it. How many times has that been done to explain uh, traveling through wormholes or going to the other dimensions? I feel like it's been done at least, at least a few times. At, I'm le- off top at least twice in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, anywho... Um, so yeah, so we we have a way to try and, and get to the other side. All right, all right, Mike. When they was it this episode where they 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 come knocking on his door? The next one. I think it's the next, uh, the next one is when the scary social services lady comes knocking on his door, and I thought, bye bye, Mister Clark, which made me sad because uh, I was extremely happy to see him come back in a larger capacity. I'm glad he's been back in a more recurring basis rather than you know some of these other people from the town who might appear in one episode and then disappear. Uh, so I'm happy he was the catalyst here, and I'm happy at at least this point. He is not dead. He has just been tasked with sort of being a conduit to, I guess, try to get these kids away from the situation in future episodes by uh, talking about some sort of fictional statewide science fair. Well, I was going to ask you if you thought he was going to die or not. I think this goes to where, why they didn't kill Hopper. I think they decided, hey, we can't keep just killing people. So, lady, back off. Come up with, <laughs> she, it, come yeah, up with a different plan. She's very aggressive, a very aggressive style. Yeah. But I, I was uh, – when you said you were worried he would only be kind of a one-off character – in the back of my mind, I was I was happy. I was like, "Oh, he's he's gonna get more, Mister Clark. Don't you worry. Yeah. Don't you worry. He's gonna." And this also this also travel. scratches my like time travel sci fi itch here. Talking about you know the many worlds interpretation. Uh, that's also sort of part and parcel with Schrodinger's cat. This idea that you know there are multiple sort of parallel universes that but all sort of function within the same framework. So much like the upside down, it could essentially be a world like ours but for some reason uh the structure is just sort of turned inside out where things look very differently and function very differently so it was cool to get some quantum mechanics in with all of this uh hokey 80s sci-fi stuff <laughs> um next up we have dustin who i'm gonna cl- name you know kind of the unsung hero of this crew uh figures out uh how to find the portal because the compasses aren't pointing the true north um, a lot of really funny moments, you know, with him saying, you know, how are you guys so dense? How do you guys not know this? Um, and, you know, kind of figures out how to find uh, the portal uh, by following wherever these compasses are pointing to. Um, how many how many compasses did they throw onto that table? Like five or six. Yeah. Why? I, thought, I, thought I understand more than that. 
I understand that uh, they're, they're sort of in a pseudo-electronic gauge, considering how much the uh, electric man apparently has an impact on being able to drive around the homes. But at the same time, I don't know what big nerds they are, or I guess how much they orienteer in their day-to-day, to have five or six compasses on hand to just throw onto the table at any you, point in time. To be fair, you used to be able to get compasses in a Cracker Jack box. Those, those seem a little bit nicer than a Cracker Jack box compass. But I'm just saying, you could... I mean, yeah. Cheap compasses like well, that. I mean, they're, like, they're all on the they're Boy like, Scouts, to, right? Like, Isn't that standard like to, issue? There's like, toy, there's like toys back in the day that came with compasses. Sure, but I, I mean, had a, I had I had several compasses, and you know they worked. I mean, I didn't have a problem with the uh, <laughs> North not being North, but or maybe I didn't know. Who knows? Um, but yeah, maybe they maybe they're on Boy Scouts. Like they all have to have compasses, right? Plus they're nerds, they, so it kind of uh, works. Doesn't look like they don't look like Boy Scouts to me. Wow. The the theory as well about the fact that, you know, these compasses are not pointing true north, therefore there actually might be a gate due to the electromagnetic field. So are we to assume then, then let's say, I don't know, a plane happens to be flying over <laughs> Hawkins, Indiana. Could there be an electromagnetic pulse so great that it might bring down the plane and the people therein? Only if someone wanted to bring them there. Um, you you know, I think you might have a, a TV show idea there, Mike. I think that's a good idea. Nah, never work. Um, next up, we have Eleven in the flashbacks finds the monster. Um, you know when she's trying to spy on a Russian. So, um, so if we didn't think this company was evil before, they're submerging her and then in water and then closing and making completely. I, are they evil? Do we we agree they're evil now? Well, this I mean, uh, it's it, actually you get the name for it, MK Ultra. This was like a real thing that happened um, in the sixties and seventies uh, in Montauk, uh, New York, um, part of the Montauk Project. The original title of the show was called Montauk. It was supposed to take place. Now, there. weren't those people volunteers though? Um, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I'm not. Uh, Colleen's more of the conspiracy theorist in the family, so she'll probably have more yeah you know answers to that, but. I mean, it was a it was a real thing um, and a real attempt to basically isolate yourself on one of these salt baths or isolation chambers to be able to, um, uh, you know, teleport your mind to listen in on these Russian conversations. So this was like a sensory deprivation tank in a way. Yeah. So uh, if you for the friends of fan uh, fans of Fringe, um, I think they talk about MK Ultra on there too. But yes, yes. Um. But yeah, so it so it is. I you know we we can sit here and say it's evil, uh, but it is uh, a thing. This was a real but thing. But I'm but I'm saying they they put this girl, who is young, who didn't want to, wasn't volunteering to do this. They just did it to her. Yeah, here you go. It's uh, Project MK Ultra, also called CIA's Mind Control Program, is a code name given to a program of experiments on human subjects at times illegal designed and undertaken by the United States Central Intelligence Agency. Experiments on humans were intended to identify and develop drugs and procedures to be used in interrogations and torture in order to weaken the individual to force confessions through mind control. Uh, Mm -hmm. Organized through the Science Intelligence Division of the CIA, the project coordinated with Special Operations Division of the U.S. Army's Chemical Corps. Or Corps, I should say, sorry. So so let me go back to sort of my initial question when I was sort of assigning Hawkins Laboratory to, like, the shadow government organization – from what we know about Brenner so far, is this sort of like a rogue offshoot of what might have been a larger project overall? Like they decided to shut down MK Ultra in the 70s, but Brenner was convinced that this was a real thing. So he continued his stuff sort of underground in a separate area. Um, we see a military truck, so it has to be something involved with the government. Yeah, right. 
I mean, it could have been because in uh, in real in the real world, it ended. Uh, I think in 1966. Um, so they say. Well, uh, so the I CIA's think, not listening, are they? Uh, Gerald Ford uh, did a commission to investigate CIA activities within the United States. Uh, in '77, a Freedom of Information Act request uncovered a cache of 20,000 documents related to the project, uh, which led to Senate Senate hearings later that same year. Um, and uh, I think in 2001, some more information was declassified. So, so it is there. I I like that theory that maybe Brenner. Um, went rogue or is continuing these things after the when it originally happened yeah, i mean I, I don't i don't know how much the government is advocating like yeah go kidnap some children you know <laughs> I, I feel like even then they might have their limits yeah uh mk also used numerous methodologies to manipulate people's mental states and alter brain functions including uh serripitous administration of drugs especially lsd and other chemicals hypnosis sensory deprivation isolation and verbal abuse as well as other forms of psychological torture it would have been interesting if I know that, again, from what we see in the real time that Eleven has these powers, it would have been interesting, though, if we got sort of a question of, as you said, maybe it was also some sort of drug-induced stupor. You know, when Eleven has this memory of her killing these guards with telekinetic abilities, maybe that's just some sort of drug-induced fantasy, and she's really not doing it. But for some reason, Brenner's sort of torturous psychological proceedings are giving her that idea. Maybe, but it, yes, but she's doing it outside of the the, the laboratory. Yeah, exactly. Right? I, I would I would just say maybe in another gotcha. type of show they would yeah. go down that route. Maybe again, or, if Stranger Things if... if Stranger Things lasted like twelve episodes instead of eight, maybe they might take an episode to explore that idea. But like you said, and we're gonna see in these next couple of episodes, her powers are real and they're spectacular. Well, <laughs> that would that would be the season, Mike, if uh, M M Night Shyamalan uh, directed it. Yeah, when does Samuel Jackson come in? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this is all just an Eleven's mind. Uh, no. The whole thing. What do you think? No? No. God. There would be riots. You, we made the lost connection before. What do you guys think about the flashbacks that are used in this episode? I mean, they're not as, you know, set up as Lost is as a convention. We get them more sparingly. But, I mean, they are sort of essential to the story. Do you like how they're done overall? Yeah, I I enjoy it because it it, it does tie into – because you're kind of getting pieces to the backstory to kind of make sense of what's happening in that moment. Um, It's it's not how Lost does it so much as you're also – it's almost to the point where they kind of are overburdened by trying to do a backstory every single time. It's just it's where it's needed to kind of give context to the story and help move the story along, um, which I I think – works in this sense where lost i think it worked great at the beginning but eventually it became too much to try and do every single episode um yeah, eventually we got it Locke was a screw-up we didn't need <laughs> we didn't need a hundred backstories on that yeah. yeah when do we get a when do we get hopper's flashback where his wife steals his kidney <laughs> <laughs> that's why he's so bitter <laughs> Well, the the interesting thing as well is that you have to wonder, is that convention going to carry over into season two? And the other thing about these flashbacks are that I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong here, they're pretty much oriented around two characters, around Will and around Eleven, two of the biggest mysteries of this first season. You have to wonder if they decide to expand things out. You know, will we get some of, you know, what Mike had been going through previously, how they became friends, or, you know, what might have been going on with Nancy beforehand. Does it tie into an overall mystery that spans more and more years, more years, more years? I'm not sure, but I'll be interested to see if they do flashbacks for season two, what that's going to entail. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I'll be interested to see how they do it. I think what also works is season two is taking place a year or roughly 
almost a year after uh, the events of season one. Um, and they plan on having four seasons. Uh, I think the last I said around four to five seasons uh, of the show. Um, so not only does there maybe more backstory to explore, but you're going to have a year gap kind of between when we last saw these characters and when we're seeing them again to where you might go back into what happened in that past year since we last saw them, uh, which could be interesting. So we'll see. Um, number seven on our top moments: Joyce kicks Lonnie out. We knew it was coming. Something's going to happen. Good job, Joyce. Um, Lonnie didn't even shed a tear. I mean, if you, you could kind of think, okay, Lonnie's being the strong one here. He's being, you know, you 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 dug this hole, you dip, t- tore this hole in your wall, all this different stuff. He's kind of making sense, but no. Yeah, Lonnie, yeah, I'm really, the time. I'll. I'll I mean, I'll admit, much like Mr. Clark, I was a little surprised to see Lonnie after we saw him in episode two. I thought it was just like, okay, here's the burnout, screw-up dad. We know his situation. I guess it makes sense from a story perspective that if there is a funeral for Will, it would make sense that he would be there. Uh, But I did like, you know, the literal representation of the fact that he's patching up the wall. He's taking down the lights. He's literally trying to erase all the stuff that Joyce has been doing uh, in another effort from another character to try to get her to cope with grief. Uh, But luckily, you know, we didn't do a complete reversion, which again, maybe if Stranger Things had a longer episode structure in season one, they might have done that for an episode or two. But Joyce was immediately saying, you know, get out of here. It's clear you're really not in this for Will. And then she goes right back to uh, the crazy Joyce that we love. But again, great, great acting. Um, for Winona Ryder, Winona Ryder here, um, just a really uh, great scene. Like when she's talking about, you know, who wants to go to college? What colleges you want to go to? And she, you know, it's just a really well acted scene. I think Winona Ryder. Oh, she says she goes. He, he's he's wanted to go to it since he was a you know what, five uh, seven or seven years old or something. Yeah. Seven years old. Yeah, it was fantastic. And he, the dad's Lonnie's like, uh, I don't know. I think he wants to go to college. The college college. Well, we could have the money to pay for it. <laughs> um, next up, uh, we have Nancy and Jonathan going after the Demogorgon. And we kind of dig into their characters a little bit uh, in this episode, kind of finding out their motivations. Um, and Nancy goes through to the other side. The episode closes um, much like a like a horror film would with the rookie, very, rookie mistake. very rookie Wes mistake. Craven-esque with the tree kind of closing up as the episode closes. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mike. This one was probably a little scary. Yeah, I mean, this, I thought we were out of the woods, uh, metaphorically speaking, <laughs> after that horrific cold open in the first episode. I did not realize that we'd get back into horror territory. How stupid I was, considering that we now have a literal monster to work with. <laughs> what do you guys think about, you know, this overall teenager storyline? As we talked about, you know, Nancy and Jonathan have sort of come together in episode four. They sort of have a shared experience, and they know what they're dealing with. And as you said, Jay, I think we get to know a lot more about Nancy in particular, uh, in terms of, you know... She's looking to, I think, really break from her parents by this nuclear family convention. Again, I made a comparison to Freaks and Geeks last time. It's very, uh, I think the character's name is Lindsay, Linda Cardinelli's character, in terms of she had this kind of, I don't know, privileged lifestyle up to this point, very typical, and now she's looking to kind of buck that and move on from that. I thought there was a really nice character development from Nancy in general in this episode, even if she does say, as Jack says, makes a pretty 
rookie mistake and decides, you know what, I'm just going to crawl into this mysterious hole in the tree without telling anybody. <laughs> yeah. That's why she, did, she, she didn't have the gun anymore, right? Um, no, Lonnie I think, had I, it. Yeah, uh, not Lonnie. Uh, Jonathan. Yeah, I think Jonathan. Jonathan had it. Jonathan had it yeah, uh, uh, Jonathan was going to shoot the deer. You know, took it from her to shoot the deer, and then the deer got dragged away. I mean, she didn't even have her bat that she was holding like Ty Cobb. I mean, she just she didn't. I, I come on, come on, Nancy. Maybe you could go look for Barb while you're there. I don't know. Well, Maybe you could as, find as a we, piece of her here or there. I don't know. As we find out, like, you know, immediately following the next episode, she she lives. But when I first saw it, I was like, oh, you're dead. Nancy, I'm sorry. You're gone. We had a, we got a little bit of your backstory and why you were here. And now you're dead. And I was she's think, dead. I was, think, I was thinking, okay, maybe she dies and Barb lives. <laughs> it's Free the upside Barb. down. You have to do yeah, yeah. It's like take a penny, leave a penny. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then Nancy wins an Emmy. So. There you go. <laughs> it's a perfect world. So a couple things on this. First, uh, Jackson, who seems to be the expert on all things romance in the 80s, talk to me <laughs> about, uh, what is it, the right, the right Stuff? Is that the movie that Steve wants to get her to see? All the Right Moves? All the Right Moves with uh, its um, Tom Cruise movie. Is it good? It's, it's, it's actually pretty. Uh, what's her name uh, from Back to the Future? Leah Thompson? Thompson. Yeah, she's in it. She plays the girlfriend. Uh, who's a great Craig T. Nelson is the coach. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a, I guess he was getting warmed up for that role. <laughs> it, it, it was a, it was a football movie, although and he's trying okay. to he's trying to escape the town to get a scholarship to Stanford. No, Cal wants to be an engineer, I believe. So it's yeah, Lonnie like answer for you there, Jack. You don't so, even know where he wants to go to college. I I think it was Cal. It's been a while since I've seen it, but it's Cal. I mean, I'm impressed I, you've been able to give this much about this movie. I've I've never even heard of it. I've, it, I, it, I saw it, the theater. I've seen it a few times. Is it a good date movie? Sure, because it has Tom Cruise. So, you know, back back in the... Who doesn't like Tom Cruise? Because uh, Tom, Steve, Cruise has, Tom Cruise movies usually have something for the men and something for the women. Look at Top Gun. Mm-hmm. Right? So, and Days of Thunder. Well, it depends. T- it depends on, on, you know, your orientation. The volleyball scene works for both men and women, depending. Oh, true, yeah. Top Gun. But uh, let me check my watch. Yeah, <laughs> I can't breathe. Okay. <laughs> Lather up in oil before we play volleyball. Um, no, uh, the, uh, there's a Steve kind of goes from uh, cute and adorable to like the biggest a hole in the world. Uh, in this episode, he's a cute and adorable during that scene when he's doing his little, you know, Bob Seger. It's like that old time rock and roll. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it quickly gets uh, wiped away in the next episode. He definitely- I don't know. I, I mean, maybe this is me being like uh, sympathetic to Steve, but at least with this character, you could understand his motives. Yeah. Which, again, doesn't make his actions that much better, especially what he does in sort of provoking Jonathan in the second episode. But you can see sort of him, you know, misconstruing when he sees Jonathan and Nancy together next episode and the fact that he's also egged on by these horrible horrible friends of his uh it it contributes to at least steve's behavior so i don't feel like it's as two-dimensional as you might think from a again it's it's 80s sort of predecessors the other thing i want to talk about to finish out this episode is that i do believe this is the first time that we really see the demogorgon itself did you guys have any reactions to like seeing it for the first time with all those flaps unfurling uh it's Mm. creepy (laughs) it reminds me of um there's that, there's this flower that like smells like dead animals and it's just kind of big and it just opens up. Um, I can't remember what it's called. What uh, flower are you talking? Those 
stop and smell the flowers. No, not no, no. Smell it's like a, a, dead it's animal. a type of flower that, and it basically attracts like flies and stuff, and just like then get, get stuck inside the. What is, what is it? The it's crap like carni- flower. It's a carnivorous <laughs> flower, I think. I can't remember the name of it, but it reminds me of that. So, I mean, it's a very organic, evil-looking thing. Um, but to be I, to side with Mike here, I don't like being scared, so. I may have been closing my eyes during some of the scary moments the first time I watched it. So my initial gut response was, it's scary. I don't want to see this thing. It, w- it, it was remi- so scary for me, I kept rewinding it. To watch I, it it reminded me a little bit of, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the video game The Last of Us, but there are, you know, the main uh, creatures in that game are called clickers, which are humans that have been sort of infected with this fungal virus. And it looked like a clicker a little bit in terms of a really humanoid body but with a non-human face or lack of face but yeah it was freaky and i'm assuming we're gonna see more of it i think it's a fair uh, assumption so what's johnny's i'm mean, uh, johnny steve's friend's name uh, uh tommy f i don't like tommy, tommy h f. tommy h tommy no h. i don't did he have a like a like a Karate Kid type thing when they put him in a body bag, Steve? I just his, I don't like his acting. Well, let's, I don't let's, like. Let's no. save uh, that dissection for the next episode because I. What's oh, is that is that the next one? It. Yeah, the okay. fight is the next, the next one. Well, speaking of a spe- speaking of fight though, I do feel like we skipped over the uh, the Mike Lucas fight. Yeah. We can obviously talk about it more in the next episode, but I mean, this broke my heart just because. Again, I, I don't want, I like these characters. I don't like to see them in too much strife. Again, it's really interesting that we're sort of pairing these episodes together because this, these two episodes actually go together really nicely in terms of like the fall of this kid's group and then sort of a subsequent rebuilding. By the end of the episode, Lucas isn't completely back on board, but I'm assuming he's going to be by episode seven. But it's, you know, a rare moment of strife as Dustin talks about in the next episode. I guess it's sort of been simmering that Lucas has been very suspicious of Eleven the entire time mm-hmm. and I guess this was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back for him. And and re- and again, it's I think what the show does well is, and you're talking about Steve, and he's not just two-dimensional like you see where he's coming from. For the fight, you you, you understand both sides of why they're fighting um, and why they're, they have this disagreement. Um, to which Dustin points out clearly in the next episode. Um, but you're right, it, it is an intense scene, especially when Eleven, you know, blows uh, Lucas, you know, throws him into the, the hood of the car. I thought he would have been killed or something um, the first oh, time no, I saw it. Oh, no, not killed. Um, but yeah, it was. it's an intense fight. And it's and for these characters that you've already only, was it, six episodes in, five episodes in, that you care that much about to not want them to fight at that level? Um, I think again speaks to how well they've character developed over a short span of time. Well, well, does it going back to when you're a kid? And this with the show, I think how many times you've been around a group, you know, a group of your friends, and you know, I've been in fights, and a fight breaks out between you and a friend, and then you're you're the other friend sitting around going, "What brought this on?" You know. So yeah, I think it. I think we do care about these kids because we see our we see most we see ourselves in these kids. It's a mirror to ourselves. At least I do. Uh, I didn't play Dungeon and Dragons. So. <laughs> All right. Well, that's episode, or chapter five. Let's go into chapter six. All right. Chapter six, the monster. When she can't get out of the portal by herself, Jonathan pulls Nancy through and saves her from the monster. In her bedroom, she is afraid to be alone and asks Jonathan to stay. Steve sees them together through her bedroom window and assumes they are dating. That's a good choice there. Uh, the next day, Nancy and Jonathan <laughs> resolve to kill the monster and purchase supplies from an army surplus store. During a fist fight with Steve, Jonathan inadvertently assaults a police officer and is arrested. 
Joyce and Harper track down Terry Ives, who is catatonic and tended by her sister, Becky. Becky explains that Terry underwent Project MK Ultra testing while unknowingly pregnant. She believed her daughter, Jane, was kidnapped by Branner at birth. Joyce and Hopper conclude Eleven is likely Jane. Eleven shoplifts Ego Waffles. She recalls being asked to contact the monster and how her contact opened the portal to the upside down in the laboratory basement. While searching for Eleven, Mike and Dustin are ambushed by bullies, Troy and James. Troy holds Dustin at knife point and demands that Mike make a suicidal jump into the lake where Will's body was discovered. Mike jumps, but is levitated to safety by Eleven, who dispatches the bullies. Lucas sees agents leaving the laboratory and realizes they are heading to Mike's house. All right, top moments. Uh, the, the conclusion of last episode is immediately resolved in this one with Jonathan pulling Nancy back through, and they spend the night together. Let's spend the night together. together. Um, All the right moves. But, uh, but yeah, uh, Nancy, she saved by Jonathan Again, what about Barb? Were you guys surprised by this? I thought we were going to get at least one episode of Nancy navigating the Upside Down, which would be a good chance for the show to sort of explain the environment to us. I can understand their choice to sort of let the mystery be in a way and really just make it this sort of like glimpse of a place that we don't really want to see anymore. But I was a little surprised that Nancy spent, what, all of six minutes in Showtime there and then came back again? Uh, Yeah, I... I don't mind well, I so think much the pace shoot. of the show. I think it, it wasn't. Well, yeah, one the pace. It's eight episodes, so they they can't probably spend a lot of time with her there. But two, if there's going to be four or five seasons of the show, and honestly, I don't know. I don't know how season two is going to go. I don't know if they're going to go with the upside down thing or not. But if they want to maybe allow enough of the things that are, exist within this realm to maybe save for future seasons, that would make sense to me as well. I forgot to I forgot to say wouldn't it have been better you know instead of having that cliche where she's backing in the first step you know, where she's backing up and she steps on the twig wouldn't have been better if she tripped over by Barb oh. no one said oh my God what is it and then you know because she's already forgotten who Barb is oh no? man no that's that's gross too, is it too soon no but I mean I guess that would have emotional weight to it right and in, in discovering no because she because she, she wouldn't know who Barb is so she just oh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeesh. <laughs> um, well, no, because Barb Barb was back at the swimming pool last yeah. time we saw her in the Upside Down. So I don't know. I know the 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 Demogorgon is mobile, but I don't know exactly how he why he would want to drag Barb's carcass all that way. True, true. Uh, something to do. <laughs> uh, it's good points. It's good points. We'll have to wait and see. Maybe if we figure out that mystery uh, throughout the rest of this season. Um, any other thoughts uh, with uh, Jonathan and Nancy spending the night together? Other than you know this this mom, I, I Colleen pointed this out. You know, if if my kids just admitted to me she slept with somebody else, I, I would not allow my kids to have their doors locked, uh, let alone closed, without at least checking in on them. These parents don't go down to the basement ever. There's a ch- another child living in the basement. And they don't know about it. Okay, I guess Come just on. the eighties times were different then. Uh, no, but, uh... parents are just clueless. Here, here's my thing about Jonathan and Nancy. Are we detecting something between them, or do you think it's purely like non-romantic? They just have a shared experience and are becoming friendly. It seems more that than than the latter or the former or whatever. Um, because it, it seems like there's still a thing going on with Steve, unless they're gonna maybe make a triangle thing out of it. Um, 
but it, it seems very much that friendly or or I don't know. It it's it's the it's the little tiny slight ember of maybe a future romantic relationship. I feel because based was, off these it was, scenes. It was a it wasn't romance that he was in the, yeah. the room because she was obviously saw something that was very terrifying. And yeah, she's scared. She's scared. I mean, I, who, I, I can't blame Nancy on this one. Versus, I think that's what your hopes were for Mike in 11, uh, Mike, which it seems it's it's going more. No, that was not my hope for the. Yeah, that was, that was my hope for them that they wouldn't. That would, they would be Nancy and Jonathan. They'd say, that, that's I'm what scared. I mean. That's what I mean. That, yeah. that, that what, what's happening with Nancy and Jonathan is more of what you wanted to happen between. Mike and Eleven, which it seems as as this episode goes on, that's not the case. Yeah, I still don't know how I feel about that. Maybe just because Eleven, I don't know. I know that she's a child, and this episode's going to reveal some of her origin story. But I still almost think of her as like supernatural and otherworldly. That I don't really think fancy this idea of oh, she's pursuing romance. It's still sort of an odd displaced thought to me. Maybe I sort of need to get over that, but. I could understand Nancy and Jonathan, which, again, I agree, I don't think is really there much more than I could Mike and Eleven. Well, I think the Mike and Eleven part is um, maybe more she hasn't been able to, like, even be a child or even, you know, experience these things. And it might just be her processing these emotions or trying to be whatever she thinks a normal kid her age should be. Um, and, And that could be you know, how she's developing this relationship with Mike, if it's this kind of puppy love, first kiss kind of thing that you do at 12 or whatever, um, it might be her also, like, just trying to be a normal kid, which she's not. Would you be okay if if it was from that point, Mike? Or is it you you don't want it, period? I just don't want it, period. I think it's just because it does feel like a trope sometimes, and it feels like, to me, the concept of romance doesn't really fit into this show you guys know more about the show than i do but this is my initial perception that i I feel like we don't necessarily need a romance going on in this type of story there's all so much going on and especially this idea this theme of familial bonds that sort of blood is thicker than water in a way that i feel like that's more of the love to go with than the oh they're making goo goo eyes at each other isn't this cute (laughs) well you make a good point because no one in this episode is really I mean, this show is really in love, right? To the, at this yeah. point, because you have that's, that's you have, what I'm thinking. Yeah, you have Nancy's parents because I think Jonathan. I think Jonathan is in love. I think Jonathan would like more than just be friends with Nancy, because he he definitely he uses her own words against her when he says, "Oh, you just want to marry Steve and be that, you know, just like your mom is with your dad." Because you know, uh, Nancy believes her, da- her mom doesn't really love her dad. It just you know, I married out of convenience. He had a nice job and. Blah blah blah. So really, nobody in this we've have we seen really loves each other, right? Well, even as um, I'm blanking on her name uh, from uh, the police department, which is, we better tell your boyfriend uh, that. It's like, well, he's not my boyfriend. It's like, well, anybody that's that stupid and will get in a fight yeah. like that, uh, right? Exactly, you know, is, is in love with you or whatever. So yeah, uh, yeah. And it also seems like I think when Jonathan is talking about Steve before in the fifth episode, he says something like, you know, I don't like most people. He seems to be in the vast majority. And it seems like Nancy's one of the very few people his age that he actually enjoys spending time with. And mm-hmm. that I think means something very special to him. Right. Agreed. Um, but I, I find the, the budding, you know, puppy love romance between Mike and Eleven, I, 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 from a story standpoint, it's less to me about like, oh, cute, they're in love, but more of it's it's one coming of age for Mike, but it also coming of age for Eleven, 
in that she wants to experience life like a normal child, much like, you know, uh, when she's looking at a reflection and she and she says she thinks she's pretty, um, and she's looking at the pictures of other girls, um, that she wants to she wants to be a normal kid, which she has not been able to be. So that's that's to me where it makes sense for that story arc for Eleven, and where I I don't mind it as much um, as just if it was just a straight play at you know, we're going to ship these two people. I think it's subtle enough that we don't have to, you know, I'm cool with it. Uh, that's just my thought. I, I'll be curious to see Mike's final thoughts as the season concludes. Um, but as it stands right now, dun, that's dun, how dun. I'm seeing it. Um, next up here, let's see where are we at. Uh, oh, yeah. So we kind of jumped ahead. Steve and his friends are a-holes. Uh, the teens fight. So we're talking about Steve kind of being cute uh, last episode, and this one he he one spied on them, so he saw Jonathan and Nancy you know spending the night together. Well, did he spy or was he seriously just checking up on her, to make sure she was all right? See, that's, see, that's the thing that again makes this a little complicated. And again, yeah. I don't want to diminish the stuff that Steve was doing because it was really callous. No, but he I crossed mean, the, the fact line. That, and but even like in the beginning of the episode, he is clearly showing a different temperament than his friends and that they're saying, like, why are you hanging around stupid Nancy's house? What, do you care about her? Which, uh, these, these kids aggravate me just because <laughs> the, the thing that's so stupid is that, like, Carol and Tommy are making fun of him for, like, oh, you care about Nancy, but aren't they in a relationship? Yes. How can you make fun of somebody, like, being emotional towards someone unless these two people are, like, horribly abusive to each other in the relationship and just completely, I don't know, uh, non-loving to each other? Isn't that really... They don't want hypocritical to do. They, they don't want to share Steve. That could be it as well. I don't know. I know you take a lot because, of umbrage with Tom, Tommy H. Jack. I I dislike Carol more personally. <laughs> well, I don't, maybe maybe no one maybe no one wants to be around those two, and Steve's the only one. If they lose Steve, then they're stuck with each other, and they're both horrible people. But what about the right. redhead girl? Yeah, she seems. To, <laughs> well, she she's her way to, into the group. She, yeah, but I get, eventually she'll get. She'll get kicked to the curb. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know. The, you know the well, about, she, she only wants to hang around Steve. She doesn't want to hang around the two a holes. Yeah, the thing. Right? The, the thing about Tommy and Carol to me is that I, I could see where you know Tommy uh, could definitely be a jerk sometimes, especially when he was sort of instigating the fight. But I don't know. There was something about when. Nancy finds this horrible graffiti and she comes to the alley and who's giving like the super snide remark, but Carol, she just, I, I just wrote like, shut up, Carol. She just <laughs> really is getting on my nerves with her, like really sarcastic remarks. It's clear that as Jack said, I think she might be a little jealous of Nancy's sort of place in the group. I don't want to go too much into these more two dimensional characters, but she's the worst offender in my opinion. I've already seen this show before, but I'm watching it again. I, and I go, Come on, Nancy, hit her. <laughs> I knew it wasn't going to happen, but how does she not get punched in the face? Don't know. Don't know. I mean, they brought it, your bat, Nancy. There, there is a pretty intense fight scene uh, where Steve uh, loses, I think, pretty handedly. But and, again, and, he had and it luckily, coming. And luckily, a, a town full with just three cops happened to be coming by. <laughs> yeah, and that, well, I mean, it's also. Happened. Steve made a bunch of horrible decisions here, but chief among them is like, do not aggravate the unwound kid. Cause you know, he's not only going to like fight you, he's going to keep beating you without even, he's going to see red. He's not even going to think about the fact that the person he's beating on is actually an actual person. You know, if 
the dumbass deputies weren't there to take Jonathan away at that point. I think it'd be very likely that Jonathan could have beaten Steve within an inch of his life. Yeah. But you remember, Steve has already smashed his Jonathan's camera. He didn't do anything about it. So Steve's thinking, I got this one. I don't care. Yeah. And Steve, and we, we know Steve is hurting, even though Steve has clearly crossed the line with what he he what he, with the yeah, spray paint. But in his mind, he, he thinks that this guy's stealing his girl, so he just wants to unload. He's stealing his girl, and, he, and he's like, and he, and like I said, he's already got the better of him once. But like like you're saying though, Mike, that he he released the monster and the boom. And who wasn't cheering for uh, Jonathan at that point? I'll hit him again. Yeah. <laughs> I don't um, know. It's 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 always one of those tropes, right? Where you see someone wail on someone else, and it gets to a certain point where you're like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> All right. Because again, no. I think if if it went on for like probably ten more seconds, I think Steve is in a much much worse situation because Jonathan was not letting up anytime soon. No, no. Because um, even there, Tommy was just like, all right, man, he's had enough. He's had enough. <laughs> he's had enough, man. Stop. Uh, I was wrong. <laughs> um, next up, we have uh, Joyce and Hopper. Um, uh, one, Hopper having to undo all the lights I thought was hilarious. Um, and two, uh, finding Terry Ives to learn about Project MK Ultra. So learning about kind of the Eleven's backstory from a, uh, the Joyce and Hopper investigative crew. Yeah, th- this is one of the reasons why I'm going to completely go back on what I was saying in Mike and Eleven. This is why I would have been shipping Joyce and Hopper is because <laughs> they both have this like similar level of paranoia that's so much fun when you know you have Hopper meticulously unscrewing every single Christmas light. I think Joyce was waiting around because that's something that Joyce would do as well if she, if she felt like I don't know Will was in one of the bulbs or something. I think that's it's like a nice shared commonality between them yeah exactly well he's got to be in this bulb but here's the thing like at this point it seems like there's still no there's nothing beyond them sharing their paranoia and the fact that they are right in some way um you know in terms of their they they are they are right yeah yeah but i'm saying to mike's point here he's he's shipping these two characters and they're they're not they're not hitting that tipping point like uh, mike and 11 are the one the one couple that mike did not want to ship well, Mike, it, didn't you have didn't you have a theory that, like, when you first watch it, that they had they'd been together before or something like that? Or was that no, you, Jay? I, yeah, I, I was I was feeling just a chemistry between them that I thought could have gone into something. It's clear that they're going much more into the platonic route, especially because they're working towards a larger conspiracy overall. I, I don't think I at least people can correct me if I did say this. I don't remember at this point <laughs> that I thought that you know, they were involved in some sort of way, shape, or form. I think she just knew who he was because he's the police chief. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and given Lonnie's, uh, you know, background, uh, maybe he's... Because, again, the whole, like, you know, don't call him, I'll call him, or whatever. He doesn't like police. Oh, maybe, or maybe, he's, been, arrest, maybe he's arrested Lonnie before. Yeah, or, on, or like, have had to do some kind of things to, you know, take care of Lonnie's mess or something like that. Yeah, okay, there you go. Could have been. Yeah. Um, so... What did you think about all the the Terry Ives stuff, this sort of late game twist that Eleven is, you know, I think my thought was like, oh, is she some sort of like, I don't know, test tube baby, some sort of homegrown lab experiment. But no, it turns out that she was kidnapped sort of like in utero from a previous person who's been experimented on because I guess Brenner thought that. Okay, due to this experiment, she this child might contain powers. It turns out his prediction is accurate, but you know she has an origin. It's not something that she lives and dies by Hawkins Laboratory. Well, do we know who the father is? 
Uh, we don't. Um, if she, if she was kind of in this maybe, hippie movement, it could have been anybody. Maybe maybe, maybe that maybe that's your backstory in season two. We find out who the father um, is, and it has something to do with the whole experiment. Maybe, but I I and, that, and that's why they knew that. That's why they kidnapped uh, Eleven. I liked it from an origin standpoint because it makes sense. Like it it's it's not just something from nothing. I think it's a good origin story. Like where they're doing these experiments on you know people, but they've already been born. They're already you know thirty years old or whatever. Um, so it it would make sense why it maybe didn't fully work with them, but these powers that she has, um, maybe it is kind of comic booky or whatever. But the fact that you know she was pregnant with this baby while these experiments were going on would it just I don't know why it makes sense to me, but it just from a, an origin story and how it's coming from. I was like okay, like when I first watched, it, I was like okay, that makes sense. Like it, it felt like a good answer to this. It was, know, it's it's, child it's simple with enough. It's simple enough to make sense. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It's it's like you said. It's comic book type stuff. But it, but and the it way works. it was revealed, like it works in a in this world where it doesn't. Seem no, like I, I I agree. I, I I agree. It's it's not. But it's not too sophisticated that we couldn't go. What? We, yeah, we and the way lame, it was revealed you know. too. They they really made sure you knew because every time you know Terry Ives' sister would mention something, it would cut to an eleven flashback, which again is another great use of the flashback because it's all material that we've seen before. It's a great way for the viewers to connect the dots and say, okay, this really is the child that she's referring to. We know who this is now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I I I really enjoyed it. Um, and and go every way. You know, Damon Lindelof's show, he does not really usually give you that much context or give you that much of an answer. But I thought it was a really good answer um, and not one that, you know, people may be growing out like, okay, whatever. Um, you know, so I, I liked it. And it was and it seemed grounded in the reality of this show. Yeah, it fit the story. So, but yeah, I liked it. Um, next well, up, as long as you liked it, that's <laughs> all that matters. Uh, next up, we have a, a, a top moments. Eleven steals egos, and we learned that she created the portal. Um, Can I just say again? I, I made a comment last time about how the townspeople were just sitting around watching Joyce and Jonathan argue, and no one's going, "Oh, I'm sorry, you lost your son." Here, this girl walks in, all dirty. Obviously, something's ha- looks like she's happened to it, and people are just looking at her. Hmm. Well, they, they're okay. they're starting to rouse, like say, oh, "What's so, going well, on here?" Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, you can't steal those waffles. Oh, hey, well, I mean, well, they, they maybe, saw maybe what she's happened hungry. To, we we don't know what happened to that poor grocery grocery clerk attendant because it seemed like the doors <laughs> closed on him and shattered on him at the same Good. time. So, I mean, the body count might have increased without us even realizing it. The egos was another thing, like the upside down, that I had known about <laughs> from memes or references. I had no idea what the connection was. I'm also surprised that it happened this late in the game. I thought it would have been something that was introduced, you know, when Mike was first hoarding Eleven downstairs. I'm surprised it took until episode six, almost the end of the season, for the ego thing to come up. Well, so the, it started, yeah, I mean, it started with uh, Mike giving her, so that's like the thing that she likes. But yes, it it. Uh, it is one of those iconic things from the show. And funny enough, uh, when they filmed this season, they didn't. Ego wasn't involved with it at all. So it's just, uh, uh, just it was that was not product placement. That was just something that they gave to the character. Now it's you know very much ingrained with what the show is. That's called freebies, right? Um, but still, but don't okay. Someone walks into your store, would you not say okay? Even if she, but they were, they were the like, uh, who are you? Where's your mom? So they they did. It's- but but they didn't. I mean, but you stole those waffles. Come back. It's not like she's committing, uh, like she's robbing him at gunpoint. Say, hey, I mean, the, the, are you hungry? We, Do you need those waffles? 
this is what we talked about last time, though, of like small town mentality where maybe they're not necessarily used to a really <laughs> dirty looking kid that they don't know walking through and stealing their merchandise. Maybe they were just sort of like stunned into a bit of silence until that <laughs> man finally rouses enough courage to be like, hey, kid, don't do that. And it turns out the one that speaks up is the one who gets doors slammed on him without realizing it. Well, so. should have been a little quicker. <laughs> um. Yeah, I, they're horrible people. Uh, what about the flashback and reveal that she created the portal? So going I, after, I, uh, you know, actually co- contacting uh, the monster, the Demogorgon, is what created the portal. So uh, in terms of, re- of a reveal, what did you guys think about this as an answer to how this all started? So the, like, black environment that she was in, that's not the upside down. No. It's some sort of, I don't know, like connection to it. And then in her contact with the Demogorgon, that's what opens up the upside down. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So that's that that plane that they're on is um, uh, whatever subconscious mental state that she's in to, to try and you know telepathically communicate or even listen to other conversations wherever they are. So the Demogorgon presumably is in the upside down. Um, she is able to then come in contact with a creature and that contact is what rips open um, the hole between the two dimensions. I I thought it was a good sort of, again, progression of the flashback plot. And especially again, in pairing with the previous episode where we see, I guess, you know, she was assumingly tried to be used as sort of a spy object to spy on this Russian guy, but she ends up being in contact with this creature it catches Brenner's attention. And I guess because he was so selfish to pursue this, you're assuming that was not his initial mission, but because yeah. he decided to go down this path, he was the one that opened it up. So, you know, we don't know how long ago this was. Are we assuming that after this thing got opened, then she runs away and that's what leads it right into the beginning of episode one. That's, that's my feeling because whatever chaos, you know, ensues after the rip in, um, uh, yeah, it it, it distract it was enough distraction she could yeah. escape. That's that's how that's how I would think, uh, given mm-hmm. given the scene. Um, yeah, that makes sense. I just I because I, I was wondering when we first saw the gate how long it had been open for, but I guess it had really only been open for however long the season has been so far, which is probably like yep. a week or two at this point. Yeah, uh, and the, and like you said, it's sort of it's an urgent matter to get Eleven back for a myriad of reasons. One of them is that. She was the one that opened up this gate. Maybe she's the key to closing it. That's yeah. why. Which episode do we see the guy being? He's. We don't actually see it, but we hear him talking, and he's on a cable. So they're investigating the right. So then they mm-hmm. pull him back, pull him back, and he just comes out big chunk. Well, yeah. Chunk. So I think. Um, it just, I think it just happens. So they because they don't know quite what they're dealing with yet. It's pretty easy to deduce that you know this is where the portal opens. That's how the monster comes out. Uh, into this into our reality or into this show's reality um and that's the opening scene where the doctor's running away um and the demogorgon you know gets him um and then escapes but here's the thing then so you know we see something in the tree we see something in the house are there sort of like other permagates set up elsewhere almost like I don't know, little handy shortcuts that the Demogorgon set up where he can easily dip in and out, or is he always going through that gate? No, I think whenever you, I guess it just the theory is if there's a, a tear in space-time continuum, the surrounding area would be weaker in that this being now, I think, can then create, or however it would do it, since the the 
the fabric of Sir, space kind continuing around that that portal is thinner now or weaker now to where he can break through it um uh close to the portal which is where these things have the tree uh will's house um in that kind of Steve's that house. woods area near murkwood um uh that's that's how he's able to kind of now kind of go in between the two the two realms because we don't know steve's house close by because um Jonathan's taking photos in that area. And I th- I can't remember which, because I've watched a lot of sci-fi. I've seen a lot of things like tearing the space-time continuum or you know creating a wormhole or something like that. I think eventually... I think Back to the Future. Uh, they will, they, they'll create a totality, I think, which would create a black hole if you don't seal it back up somehow. Um, I don't know. I don't know where I've heard that one. But um, but it does uh, weaken the, the boundaries between the two parallel universes once you do have a tear that allows you to access the other side I mean, that's free sounds like so. something that sounds like something out of buffy too if i remember correctly something about like the end of season two about opening up a tear there and it eventually swallowing the town hole yeah that sounds right <laughs> it, it all it all comes together they all read from the same book apparently i only um, saw the movie that's that's how it i it hasn't been explained so far in the show but that's how i see it um let's see let's see uh lucas, lucas goes on his own to find the portal so still uh can't resolve the differences uh from the end of episode uh was this before. a scene was this a scene where it was it last episode or this episode where they're, they're riding their uh mike and dustin are riding their bike and dustin's explaining to him uh it might be towards this episode. right after but it's, it's this, this episode, episode. I, this I, episode where yeah, where Dustin talks about like, oh, you don't realize that there was this sort of like simmering tension from Lucas and I, who feels like you know you were pref- uh, prepping eleven before us. This is where you know Lucas is your best friend. No, you're my best friend. You can't have more than one best friend, etc. Right. I thought this was a great scene. I, I th- uh, Dustin was spot on. I think. Yep. yep. But you know, you broke the rule. You yep. got to sh- you, you, you drew first, first blood. blood. <laughs> You got to shake hands first, and first blood. I don't remember that being the. <laughs> well, well. Speaking of first blood, Lucas think... is going total, totally Rambo yes. here. You know, he was talking, he was talking up, you know, the Nam gear that he had a few episodes ago. Now it feels like he's finally putting it to use. What he really has always wanted to do, which is to like get his camo on, climb up a tree, and try to break into the place. Uh, yeah, I think he quickly realizes that's probably not going to happen. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, we have Eleven saves Dustin and Mike from the mouth breathers. A really moving scene. I, I love this scene. Okay, uh, how many? Uh, I got. I, I grew up in the eighties. I don't remember any or seventies. I guess I don't remember any kid at like age ten or eleven holding someone else at knife point with a switchblade. Uh, I I had there was yeah. a couple of bullies that had switchblades. I remember those kids. Well, I I, I but at, at that age. Yeah. Well, maybe not. Maybe not ten, but definitely. And like then 11, and, and then tell and then telling and telling someone they have to jump to their death. Well, no, even that's the, a bit extreme. Even even the other mouth breather was like going. Well, I don't think that's very cool. Well, it was very reminiscent to me of again going back to the it comparison to the bully in that whose name is Henry Bowers, and I think it's a little bit of a different comparison just because in it. Henry's character is one that really gets fleshed out over time. We see that even as a kid he's gone slowly more and more insane to the point of where he's doing these really physically aggressive and sociopathic things that even in this, we see where like his side blades are saying, ah, maybe this isn't such a good idea. 
Here, maybe it's because they just didn't have the time to do it, but Troy really isn't built out as much of a character. We see him, Mm -hmm. you know, bully the kids in one scene. We see Eleven make him piss his pants at the assembly, which is the reason why he sort of had decided to go after this. And now we see this scene. I'm assuming that's the last we're going to see of him because he'll probably be in the emergency room for the rest of the time, getting that horrific snapped bone in his Ah. arm treated. But (laughs) I feel like this is one of the cases where, like, I, it could, it's a clear reference that I can see the DNA yeah. there, but I feel like if you know more about the origin character, it makes sense from a character perspective. You know, more I'm thinking about it, too. Unfortunately, this is kind of – we do see – hear about kids at a young age committing crime. So what was I thinking? But I did, I, I did cheer when he got his arm snapped. Yeah, it was uh... – I know he's just a kid, but, man, he, he deserved it. Well, and I, I think it was a great way for Eleven to come back um, and then to kind of, you know – Kiss and make up, quote unquote. Um, even though I didn't, but still, I, I thought that was a good way to come back. And then um, Hawkins Lab finds out where Eleven is, and Lucas tries to warn them. Warn them. So again, Lucas, I think, is is coming back uh, to the team as well mm-hmm. at the close of this episode. Right, Lucas. Um, and and really kind of sets up the last two episodes of the season, last two chapters. Um, and it's uh, it'll be interesting. It, well, I, I'm curious to see. Uh, Mike's journey uh, through the final two chapters. But again, I think the pacing, while it's quick because it's only eight episodes, is very, um, it's paced well where it's not like, it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like the maybe the last season of Game of Thrones where it goes so damn fast. It it moves quickly, but it doesn't feel like That we complained about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, and also like the other side of the Game of Thrones complaints, it, it felt like, especially with like the kids' storylines, even though it sort of has these moments of stop and start, even in these two episodes, we saw the relationship of the group kind of fall apart and is now slowly starting to rebuild on itself. It didn't feel like they were sort of stretching out the storyline by saying like, oh, they hit a stumbling block, but then they recover, which people can sometimes take umbrage with with other scripted shows of saying, oh, you had to include the kids here. So they inserted this storyline here, even though it didn't really have ramifications on the plot. Because like you guys said, I really love this last scene. Uh, both, you know, Mike deciding to jump uh, to protect Dustin, I feel like uh, speaks highly to the conversations that the two of them had where Dustin says, you know, I don't think I'm your best friend. I don't think you care about me as much as these other people. Mike clearly shows it. Uh, and then Dustin, you know, showing as well as, as Lucas some trepidation towards Eleven. After Eleven comes back as a badass, Dustin then yells at them like, yeah, this is our friend and she's crazy. I think that's a really <laughs> poignant moment because, again... He was one of the people that was really incredulous to her at first. Mike was definitely the most accepting out of the yeah. three guys. And I think him saying that is him saying, okay, I finally accept her for who she is. Mm-hmm. I did like when, when it was a good scene when Mike does jump. Even What's the kid with the knife's name? Troy? Troy. He, even, even he walks with Lucas and is it James. The three of them walk to the edge of the thing to see they couldn't well, believe he shocked. He didn't believe he would do it. You know. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. And he's lucky Eleven Sam because he would be, you know, probably going to jail. Well, I guess little no, kid jail. No, no, because he he's Jeez. gonna throw. You know, Dylan gets thrown off the thing too, and it's just gonna be like, oh, he just kills everybody, so he's the only one left. Oh, there's nobody. Tracks. Well, there's who's who's there to see it. His the sheriff's too busy breaking his friend it. too. The, the, you got sheriff. You know, they're he's off doing something, and the other two cops are arresting uh, Jonathan. So who's gonna see it? I don't know. I don't know. It's the perfect crime. Uh, well, that closes out the these two chapters, five and six. We have six and seven coming up for uh, our, or I'm sorry, seven and eight uh, coming up for us, closing out season one of Stranger Things. Excited to do that. That'll be 
uh, I guess next Monday night uh, that one will happen, guys, right? Probably somewhere around there. Uh, uh, works for me. Uh, and uh, after that, we will kick off season two of Stranger Things. Uh, it goes by quickly, uh, but it's an enjoyable ride while it goes. Uh, I will be picking up my VHS uh, copy of Stranger Things tomorrow. Um, and maybe the Ouija board one. I don't know. Maybe. I canceled hey, my Monopoly you're, you're, game. You're going to have to do a toy review next time we get back. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really excited about this. Again, I've been sort of hyping up this idea of these different strings. You have the adults, you have the teenagers, you have the kids. I'm a little surprised at this point that six episodes in, three quarters of the way into the season, they're still not really interacting. But yeah. I have full confidence that, especially with Hawkins descending upon Mike's house, that things are going to get very connected very quickly. And so I'm assuming that, it, you know, we've talked about the the fast pace of this. I feel like it's really going to build to a frenzy for these last couple of episodes, and it's going to end on a real high note. So I'm so excited to see what's going to happen. I agree. I agree. Um, well, that will do it then. Uh, you can give us a call at 385-309-0311. Call any time. And you can give us an email at strangerthingsjjm at gmail.com. Join our Facebook, Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash J and Jack group. Become a patron. All of our shows, including this one, is made possible by you, the listener. Whether you contribute $1 on up, it all helps make these shows go. Go to janejack.com. Click on the Become a Patron link today. Um, talking about uh, Stranger Things stuff that you want to buy, there's plenty of it on Amazon.com. Use the link janejack.com slash Amazon when you buy it, and a small percentage of those sales will go to the J and Jack production fold. Check out our other shows that we have going on right now. Uh, Dancing with the Stars with Jack, Cindy, and Heather. Survivor with J, Jack, and Colleen. The Ramblecast. Uh, a new Owen and Brews barbecue reviewing the trailer for uh, The Last Jedi, um, as well as the broadcast. So a lot of podcasts going on right now. Mike, you do 10,001 podcasts a week. <laughs> uh, where can people find you, good sir? At a Mike Bloom type on Twitter, where I shill out all the stuff that I'm doing, including a weekly Survivor podcast on RHAP. I do Survivor exit interviews for Parade Magazine. I do SNL podcasts on post-show recaps. I do The Hamster Factor, where AJ Mass and I take a look at movies that I've never seen before. Uh, we, we skipped over all the right moves. Uh, but this oh. time we're going to be this time we're talking about Shallow Grave, which is, uh, I believe, Danny Boyle's big sort of cinematic splash with uh, Christopher Eccleston, another fa- friend of the Jane Jack podcast, considering his work on The Leftovers <laughs> and uh, young Ewan McGregor as well. I'm really excited to talk to AJ about that. Awesome. All, All right. right moves has to be in the uh, coming up soon, though. <laughs> yes hope I, listen suggest it to him he's he's the one to go through he's the 11 to get in contact with well, you know I, the a, demogorgon a, that is me i'm gonna go put myself in some water and and see if i can do it <laughs> all right well thoughts. that will do it for this week gentlemen we'll see you guys next week for the finale the final two episodes of stranger things and uh, we'll be set up and ready to go for the new season of Stranger Things. Check out those trailers if you've already watched season one. The new one dropped just this past Friday if you haven't seen it yet. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about it uh, after we watch the next two episodes. Until next time, hasta luego and goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>